Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information, inspiration, and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. This is beyond doubt the most powerful interview I've done to date. And the reason for that is there's some really powerful research and tools and techniques, but it's also backed up by experience. And it's an unfortunate experience, and you, know, you wouldn't wish this on anyone, but in saying that, um, she has gone in, dug deep, and created some tools and techniques uh, that no one has had the opportunity to do, not to this extent. So if you want to be a happier, healthier person, get your notepad out, take some notes and start taking action as a result of this interview today, because there's no time like today. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Angela Lee Jenkins, and I'm the co-owner of the Kaizen Institute of Health um, in Queensland. I'm actually based on the Gold Coast now, and I'm the mum to a beautiful um, little girl called Liv. And I guess my main work is with our programs is that we run um, educational programs for a lot of health professionals and retreats. So we really like to take their business to, I guess, the next level in terms of a holistic approach to health. And I guess from my perspective, I guess I really feel that I'm really here um, on this earth to really inspire people to connect back to their ikigai and ikigai is your reason for being. So I really feel if we can connect to our reason for being and then live our best life, I just think, you know, that's pretty amazing and life's a gift. So that's what I'm here to do, I I suppose, Carl. That's my little intro. That's an amazing intro and and thanks for coming on. uh, I'm very honoured. And. If you could, I mean, I know a little bit about your work and all of the stuff I've come across is really, really powerful and it's been life-changing for many health practitioners. People have only got good things to say about you and your business partner. Um, but if you could just share a little bit about you know, what got you into health and wellness and maybe even how that evolved into a really holistic approach. Yeah, I guess for me, I started like grew up playing sport. So I grew up playing um, touch football really quite competitively. And, you know, when you grow up playing sport, you know, it got to university time and I didn't really know what else to do other than, I guess, health. So that's when I studied to become an exercise physiologist. So I went down that path and, you know, then I moved to Sydney because the Olympics were on and, you know, got involved in corporate health. And at that stage, I was more on the exercise part of the exercise physiology. And then I relocated to London and then I just had a yearning to explore more. Like, you know, we all know it's more than the exercise. So Mm. I started to delve into, I guess, so many different things around nutrition and I guess I went sort of more of an energy spiritual path with, you know, I've done like EFT, quantum emotional healing, Reiki, all that type Mm. of work and come back to doing a lot of hormonal work and blood chemistry, looking at functional health, what's going on because, you know, the human's very complex and, you know, I just needed to – get better results for clients I just kept wondering what was going on so I started exploring I guess all those avenues and in more recent times I've I've sort of I guess shifted a little bit more and I know you're loving the epigenetics work but really helping people unlock their genetic potential and connect them to their spiritual purpose so they can live their best life and a lot of my I guess coaching now is moving towards that side of things but yeah, so I guess it. I guess it's a journey, isn't it? I guess we yeah. keep looking for something better, and you know, it's. And I know you've probably done something similar. You're very holistic with what you do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. I can relate to a lot of that story actually, and I feel like I've been all over the map in terms of very clinical, uh, measured testing to looking into the you know the spiritual side as well. And I don't think yeah. one way on its own is right, and um, not 
you know, for, for the individual as well. Like, I think it's really, really useful to have all of those tools. Yeah. So it's really cool. So we're here today to talk about happiness. Um, mm-hmm. But you've got such a powerful and amazing story um, that I'm aware of, but I'd love you to share that with the with the audience if you don't mind. Yeah, I guess, you know, why we're talking about happiness is I, I went and studied it, like like with all those other things I explored, <laughs> and I, I, I guess I really had to study it because I, I was in a really unhappy place. And I guess, you know, your life's going down one path and, you you know, you're living this, you know, particular life where, you know, life's great and then all of a sudden in, you know, probably about, I think it was April 2015, my I was on a baby moon holiday pregnant with my first child and my waters broke. And at the time we didn't know my waters broke and we somehow made it back from Mexico, you know, back to Australia and then we got told, you know, I guess the horrific news that your waters break. And I'm thinking, I didn't even know your waters could break at 15 weeks because to me it was like your waters break and then you have a baby. And all of a sudden then my life got turned upside down. I was put on bed rest um, and I ended up being on bed rest for 85 days. And, you know, each week we had the odds that we were given for my son's survival were extraordinarily low. And it gets quite emotional talking about it, but we went in and, you know, spoke with the obstetrician and we made a decision at the very start. He can said you can either terminate the pregnancy now and just – let this one go because it's not going to work or you can live by the motto where there is life there is hope and when I stay that say that still it chokes me up and you know I think it's really powerful because you know where there is life there is hope and we live by that motto the whole time and pretty much after 85 days bread rest I had my son you know again in extreme circumstances like an emergency Caesar I had a prolapse cord there was people everywhere I literally we hit the emergency button and he was born in nine minutes and he came out not breathing at 27 weeks and 700 grams and tiny yeah and I just woke up and I just didn't even know what would happen and you get wheeled over to the bed and you're there and all a mother wants to do is hold their baby and I had to wait a week before I could even hold him and pretty much he wasn't going to survive and you know there's a lot to the journey but we ended up being in the intensive care unit for 104 days in an absolute whirlwind of you know just fighting for his life on a daily basis like literally he came back from (laughs) death on multiple occasions, we were in and out of palliative care and it was this extremely traumatic experience but it's kind of interesting through it all and I guess it's due to some of the study at the time I was doing on I guess stress and how to manage it and you know I feel so grateful to have that knowledge is that you know we really still had some happy times and you know we made an effort to have happy times like you know we set up his bed, we, we played different music, we took him out on the grass, he did barefoot grass walks you know Mm. we put sand on his feet like we just did so many things Mm. you know to make the best of the situation and and I guess that's what I like this happiness part is to me is because after that I went through you know it's very traumatic and you know you start to see fear a lot more and I was in a very unhappy place and it's like I can't keep living like this it's such an awful feeling when you're a naturally happy um I guess predisposition person to actually go through that and it's I guess a lot of people say, well, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? And nearly everyone says losing a child and people, and it has been, it, you know, it's sort of one of those things that's been the worst things that's ever happened in my life. But, you know, I have to have flipped that and say that it's the biggest gift. I mean, he could have miscarried at 15 weeks, but we had 104 days. So it's really, I guess, shifting um, the focus and we have the power to do that and shift our focus and try to look at the, I guess, the happy times and, and the happy mem- memories. And that's, I guess, what led me into a lot of the happiness physiology as such. Thank you so much for sharing that story, by the way. I think it's, um, 
it's it's so powerful and and thanks for being so vulnerable uh, it must have taken a lot of courage oh thank you i nearly i thought i choked up a couple of times then but there's <laughs> there's a lot you know and the irony of it is that you know after my son passed away i i didn't really you know i was 38 at the time and i didn't actually think i could even have another child like you know we it was a long time falling pregnant with him and then what's ironic is that you know she was actually born a year to the week that he passed away so it's just this you know it's just this story and what's even more I guess you know whether or not it's coincidental or synchronicity whatever you call it but his name was Will and my daughter's name was Liv and at the time I I just always wanted to name my kids Will and Liv like I had no Hmm. real meaning behind it and that's where I've sort of you know, been leading into at the moment with this message of the will to live, but the will to live our life um, differently, and the story behind that is really um, is really powerful. But that's another aside. But it's just you know all these things, you know, I guess happen for a, a greater purpose and a and a greater reason, and that's how I have to look at it. Don't get me wrong, I still have horrible, unhappy times, and but it's about how you how you move out of those. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you've you've done incredible just to make. You know the, the most positive of a you know potentially uh, really really challenging time and um, yeah for you to to go through that and come out the other side with some some tools that a lot of other people wouldn't have um, is, is so powerful. So I guess what I'd like to know you know from that is you know what were what were some of the tools that you you developed um, whether they're mental physical um, you know to get yourself through that you know traumatic time. Yeah, I guess. I feel so lucky to have the skills that I do have. Like for me, the exercise, the movement yeah. was just critical to me. Like I would just get up and just move down the beach. And, you know, when you you look at that lady, you know that the physiology behind that. But, you know, I think the movement was critical to me. I have a great support network of friends yeah. and family um, around me and, you know, social connections is so critical. And I guess for me, I sought out the help of so many people as well. Like yeah. I've done a lot of counselling. I've you know, seeing different psychologists, I've seen a quantum emotional healer, I've seen quantum en- um, energy healers, I've done, you know, I've worked with movement specialists, I've, you know, optimised my, you know, nutrition. Like there's so many things that I guess I have done, but ultimately I think when you look at something like this, you have to, you've got a choice how you look at it. And the biggest skill that I've learned is that we have a choice how we look at everything. And for me, I have to look at it as a positive experience because if i don't the alternative is just not a you can't be in the alternative (laughs) that's such a powerful message you know like um, yeah is that something you actively practice you know like um practicing that that choice on how you you view life or a certain situation yeah well i have different morning routines and you know that i do in terms of implementing some of these things about you know looking at gratitudes and setting up the day and just really focusing on those things so yeah i do have regular work where I do that um, because I know the science behind it but it does work and it's something that I have to do and if I move away from doing it I I can notice it and I guess what happens with trauma as well is when you go through a severe trauma it can disrupt your brain chemistry and you know we're perceived to experience you know wide for survival and you know um, wide to see fear but when you go through a severe stressful trauma that is actually amplified and I really noticed that there were things that I was looking at where I was becoming a lot more fearful than what I ever was in the past. So it's actually been having to retrain mm. 
um, those neural pathways really because that's what does happen in those circumstances a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, mm. Gratitude is actually a common theme I've seen throughout many interviews actually. Um, how does your gratitude practice look? Yeah, well, I just usually write down not all the times but either say mm-hmm. in the morning just three things that I'm grateful for. Is I used to have gratitude journals um, years ago but at the moment just with a young daughter and what I do, that's what works for me and to be honest it's often with her which is beautiful like she's nearly two and it's often in the morning when we have our morning cuddles and I say how grateful I am for her and you know and a couple of other things around that as well so yeah that's what really works for me and I guess that I love that connection with her when I do that as well it's a it just makes it more powerful for me yeah Hmm. well it's it's funny because I I think a lot of the time um as a parent and probably as as a human being we just don't stop to uh, to think how lucky we actually are. Yeah. Um, you know, and having something like this, it's a direct reminder, you know, of, of um, as to how lucky we actually are to have these people or these things in our life or actually to have this uh, life experience. Um, yeah. It's, I hope people can learn from that. Yeah, it's so true. And I think people get so caught up in life that we actually forget to appreciate life. And, yeah. you know, I guess the biggest message and learnings from Will's life is that life is a gift. And, yeah. What a lot of people have found, I guess, since people close to me and people around me since what happened with Wills, it was really a wake-up call for them. And just seeing what people have done since then to improve their life and appreciate their life has been amazing. And, yeah, and that's something that, yeah, I hope to sort of continue to work on with sort of the movement around his 104 will which is what he lived for 104 days so 104 days for some people is a lifetime so what can you do within 104 days to to enrich your life and and make it better and it's just been really cool um yeah seeing people shift in that yeah in that time could you could you could you talk to us a little bit more about um you know some of the process behind the 104 day um, project yeah, I guess my younger sister is um, always been really overweight and and suffered a lot of depression a lot of her life. And the day after Will passed away, she actually came to my house and she come up to me and this gets me quite emotional. She says, "His life won't be for anything. I'm going to change mine." And I'm choking up a bit now saying that. So, what do you mean? And then the next day, she put on Facebook this 104 day wellness challenge because she realised that she was in the state she was in because of her choices not because she was born like will couldn't breathe because his lungs weren't formed yet she could breathe perfectly fine she struggled because she was overweight and she just made that decision and all of a sudden all of these it wasn't anything formal but all of a sudden all of these people started joining in with her and people started doing other 104 day things like gratitude you know my friend's six-year-old son did 104 kind things and people did 104 mountain climbs because they wanted to you know most of their life and you know so it just sort of unraveled like that it was about you know people appreciating their life appreciating their body and also making the most of it and you know my sister's gone on she's still on a long journey she's a a little guardian so it takes her time but she's lost over 30 kilos and and it's just it's not the weight it's how she lives her life now is so different and it's just been amazing like his life has really saved hers but it's Mm. it's so um that's amazing as, as life lives on and, uh, you know, what a legacy is already left, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, no, it's really, um, yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. cool. Just out of interest, has it shifted um, your values at all or what you value in life? Because obviously um, that will guide our choices as well, so. Um, yeah, so. yeah, it has massively. Mm. Like, 
and I in the I'm actually writing this book at the moment. I talk I've just written a bit about this. Is like I think when you know any new parent has a bit of a value shift when kids come along. Like yeah. I think it's just natural, and it's like I had a child come along. I lost a child and had another child all within twelve months. It's it's kind of like my shifts had have been quite massive, and you know in retrospect, I've. I, I love my work and I love what I do, and but I probably was very work-orientated and potentially a bit too much, and it wasn't until going through all this, I guess, this trauma and, you know, just realising I, you know, I missed out on some time with my friends and family that I, you know, I, I don't want to go do that again. So now it's I still work, but it's sort of more marrying it up more in purpose and, and making sure that those things aren't left behind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to bring it back to uh, to happiness, and I'd like you just to um, explore the meaning of happiness with us. You know what happiness actually means to people, or does it mean something different to uh, two different people? Yeah, look, I think it does mean different things to different people because it, there's so many things that you know we're all individuals about what makes us happy. You know, I guess there's a scientific term for happiness, which is an overall. Um, subjective personal well-being is like a scientific term. It's about being like high levels of positive emotion, not having much negative emotion, and life satisfaction, so purpose. So yeah. if you delve into those things, I guess, you know, ultimately like when people feel that joy, that's, you know, that's a, that is that happiness, that, that nice feeling. But it can be so many things for different people, but it's just exploring what are those things that bring you joy and what makes you happy and, you know, I get people to ask themselves those questions a lot and get them to start doing them because so many times when I work with clients, it's like, you know, what makes brings you joy and, you know, what, you know, what brings happiness in your life and they say these things but they're not doing them. Yeah. So, and that's, if that's where you, so many of us are getting out of alignment. It's like, yeah, if we connect back to our heart and do what is happiness, mm. do what makes us happy, then life tends to flow a little bit better and that's certainly a shift that I've made is connecting back to my heart and just choosing happiness on a daily basis rather than always being driven towards, okay, I've got this goal, I've got to achieve this, I've got to do mm. this. Like right. if I live in that space, um, I'm just allowing more and seeing what unfolds. Um, I'm a type A personality, so it's not always easy for me to do that, but it is <laughs> I am trying to, um, yeah. Find that balance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um what you're referring to, in my opinion, sounds like you know, like a deep, a deep joy uh, versus a you know a fizzy high, which would be those little achievements along the way. Yeah, which just aren't as you know, that's not as meaningful. That just don't viscerally manifest as as well. So it sounds like yeah. you have a really clear idea of what those you know, deep joyous moments are, which is great. Think, and people say like oh, this seems a bit cliche in this this what I'm about to say, but you know, like sometimes. I guess by experiencing those, the darkest of times that you can experience, mm. then I, I guess I can recognise the joyous ones more. And I and I don't want people to have to go through the dark times to recognise those joyous moments. And that's what, you know, I guess has, you know, got me doing more of this work as well because I would love for people to experience more of those moments without having the yeah. other side. <laughs> well, it's literally the best, the best thing you can do. It's amazing. Like these, I feel like the dark times are, you know, they're opportunities. Mm. Uh, opportunities to learn um, yeah it's really easy not to learn from those opportunities uh, yeah you've obviously done some really active work and um and and seeing these opportunities and and extracting them and then uh putting them into a digestible format for others to ingest which is just amazing yeah yeah 
hopefully. It's a, it's always a work in progress. It's mm. always, I guess it's for me, I look at life in 104 days now, like not quarterly plans, yearly plans. And, yeah. you know, when the end of 104 days comes, I, you know, I just often question what I've, what I've done. And if I'm going down a path that, you know, I don't want to be going down, I need to just refocus that because, you know, in Will's case, that, that was a lifetime and mm. I keep wasting lifetimes. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Do you feel like happiness is something we should uh, pursue or is it something, you know, we might choose on a day-to-day basis or maybe it's a a byproduct of, um, you know, a a well-living life? Yeah, I I think people get stuck when they're always pursuing happiness Mm. and I see this a lot. I'm going to be happy once I get this new job. I'm going to be happy once the kid... Once, once my son gets settled in school, I'm going to be happy, um, you know, once I, you know, pay the mortgage off. I'm going to be happy when, like, people are always pursuing this. And I guess one of the, I guess the biggest message I have is don't wait for the happy ending. Mm. You know, there, there's not a happy ending. And, you know, if we decide to be happy, the brain will look for happiness. And mm. right now, everyone, all your followers, Carl, can make a decision to look for happiness right now. And, don't get me wrong, there are little things that I've found, you know, from the research that I've done and little things that people can start to implement into their day and into their life which will help trigger those little happiness hormones along the way. Mm. Absolutely. There's things that you can do like that to try and get out of it and I have made conscious choices around that. But at the end of the day, we need to make the choice to be happy. And, yeah, I think if we keep pursuing happiness, I don't, mm. I don't there is, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if you just look at basic neuroscience, hey, you know, nerves that fire together, wire together. So, yeah. You know, if we if it's something we we practice and look for those opportunities, then surely, and in, in theory, it should become a little bit more hardwired. Yeah. Um, you've already touched on it slightly, but yeah. what do we know about the habits of happy people? And you know, yeah. what, what are the main elements we know, um, or that you know that um, contribute to um, happiness? Yeah, well, there's quite there's a quite a few different ones, but you know when they research the top um, the top ten percent of happy people, the number one thing that came up for those people was social connection, mm-hmm. and you know there's been studies done which show that social connectedness is as important to a long life more so than smoking, and I think sometimes you know in these digital worlds and you know in our busy lives that sometimes we're missing that, so social connection is a is a massive player. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's so many other things as well, like in terms of service, they've, you know, volunteering and acts of kindness to others is, is really proven to show that, you know, things like gratitude, you know, they've done studies where you actually write down those three things that make you feel good at the end of the day and they've been exponentially shown to continue to increase happiness, you know, so because our feelings follow our focus and, you know, there's so many um, other little things as well around, I guess, lifestyle intervention or, you know, Sort of, we work with trainers and allied health professionals, but there's a lot of lifestyle choices around movement, around sort of the goals, around gut health, around you know so many other those choices as well, which yeah. Yeah. Um, which le- actually lead to more happiness physiology, which is really cool because we have the it's meaning that we have the power to make yeah. those. Totally, and on, on in contrast, uh, what do we know? Other sort of the enemies to happiness. A lot of the enemies to happiness are the way we're wired. Like we're wired for fear so we're wired you know we have these inbuilt patterns that are often happen by the age of seven so the biggest enemy to us a lot of the time can be what's inbuilt with us from from the age of seven so 
that's something that we really need to, I guess, just understand is that, you know what, that's okay that I, I might have this feeling, but it, it can be changed. I can build new pathways. So there's those sides, sides of things. But then there's also, I guess, the poor health choices and not doing these things and the stress and how we perceive stuff under high stress does influence that as well. So I guess they're sort of some of the biggest you know, things that I see um, opposing happiness or the enemies to happiness. I think mm. um, you just touched on a really key point there, and that's perception. Mm. Um, because, you know, we do know now that, you know, it's not the stress that's often the issue, it's the way we perceive that stress to be. So I think that's such a, you know, poignant point. Oh, so true. And that's where, you know, I'm in an intensive care unit, it's stress, like, it's how you perceive that time. Mm. And I feel if I didn't have that tool to think like that, I don't think I would have recalled any of that time with Will in there because my stress would have been high. I wouldn't have been able to have those present moments. So being able to do that is is huge. And I think the thing is, though, perception is what's been from past experiences too. So, you know, it's it's people being educated on that and just saying it's okay that I feel this, but it may not necessarily be real. I do have a choice to change it. Yeah, that's great. Now, what about for people? I mean, thank God in my life I haven't had too many of these moments, but... People that are really in that that dark place where they're really struggling to see um, anything positive or change their uh, their mindset around that, you know, what sort of tools do you think um, could be useful? Even just one one or two little things. Like, what did you find useful when you're in those really really tough situations? I think sometimes you've just you've got to allow it that it's not it's not forever. That this you know it's okay to have these this sadness it's okay to have pain like those things are okay um and just knowing that it wasn't going to be there forever is something that really helped um me through it you know there's so many different things that i've done but certainly the social connection and you know the hugs and stuff from family have been you know really important i do a lot i've done different therapies like trauma release exercises and you know lots of different stuff to sort of like shake and try to rebalance Mm. my transmitters and and that type of stuff so i mean there's so many things but i guess the biggest thing is just to understand that you know it's okay like just to try to get that feeling of um safe again is really important because you feel so unsafe yeah uh, and that's what's really scary but just to know that you know things will get better they can get better and there's there's a lot of things out there that you can do to help get you better which in some of the things we're talking about today yeah i guess that sometimes it must be just looking for that that avenue of in, you know, like what thing, what one thing can you control at that moment of time? Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, a couple of months after Will passed away, I everyone was doing these 104 challenges and I and I actually thought, well, I better do one. I, you know, I wasn't totally in place. And so my one was to do sort of some yoga poses every day, but the main focus was to make sure that I laughed every day because I just forgot what laughter was. Mm. And so I made a conscious decision to laugh and at the end of some days I realized I hadn't been laughing I hadn't laughed at all so I'd go searching on YouTube or watching and stuff like that to try and get something to try and get something yeah. shifted in me where I could laugh but, but I look for those things and you know it was quite interesting at the end of my 104 day program I was 103 days pregnant with my daughter which to me is just mm-hmm. again that you know that synchronicity those things when you make those positive choices those steps even in a dark time that you know what can come um, from that. And what a, yeah. what a gift, you know. Oh, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it blew me away. But certainly, yeah, sometimes you have to look for those things. And I, I had to because there wasn't much to laugh about in my life at that time. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, yeah, I'm a father of uh, two beautiful little girls and I feel like I 
you know, I probably don't practice this gratefulness enough, but, you know, when I actually stop, I realize how important they are in my life. And but yeah. one thing that re- is really important to me is actually raising happy children. Mm-hmm. Um, have you? Are there any things you sort of set up um, in your household to to stimulate that um, you know the happiness growth, I guess, uh, within their lives, within her life? Yeah, that's a really good question. And <laughs> yeah, not specifically in terms of um, for her, I guess some of the you know the research that they talk about is that the, particularly when they're so young, and she's not even two, is that the number one thing that influences a child's um, I guess outcomes are the the energy and the state of the primary caregivers, mm. you know, attachment theory and things like that. So not specifically for her. I like the idea though, Carl. We could be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's actually like, that's a really really important point, eh? Because I think I've yeah. noticed, and I know there is research on this as well, that mm. um, children really learn um, from what they observe. And if yeah. they see, you know, I, I can imagine if they see a happy uh, mother or a happy father. Uh, or, or they're experiencing a really happy environment, then that's got to be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely, but I, I think that would be something really cool to, you know, instill in kids as well, like, you know, some of these principles. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I try and do anyway with my, my girls, I make an active thing because you can really get caught up in Monday in the day-to-day activities of getting things done. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but try and actually, my oldest daughter is um, seven now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we try and make her aware of things that, you know, she, you know, she is lucky in certain elements of her life. So mm-hmm. she started taking a little gratefulness journal as well, a gratitude journal. And awesome. I think it really does make a difference. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it's so good what they're doing now at, you know, some of the kindy and yeah. school with the meditations and, yeah. you know, that type of thing as well. And I've seen some of your videos, I must say, on social media, and you seem very playful. <laughs> and you get your what I love about it is you have your daughter involved in your movement and your playtime as well. I, I think that's such a powerful thing that you're doing right there. Yeah, I love it. Like we we go down. We're lucky to live near the beach here, and we're out the beach most mornings. And yeah, just doing some type of movement or activity. I just bought an electric trike yesterday, so I'm all excited <laughs> taking her out in that. And yeah, but I I do my workouts. What I've learned to try and do, and yes, I do still have my own time, but I try to plan my workouts and my movement around her. So, you know, when we go to the park, if she wants to play there, then I'll just try and adapt something around that sometimes. And, yeah, I really like that. So she's kind of leading leading the way mm-hmm. as such. And, yeah, to me that's about because they know for me, like I'm driven by, you know, oxytocin, which is one of the happiness hormones, which yeah. is all about hugging and connection. And, you know, that's really high up for me in terms of epigenetics and but it is a very important happiness hormone. So that connection and those hugs and that time is such a driver of, of happiness for a lot of people. Yeah. Or for everyone, it's just how much, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think you brought up a really good point there again, and that yeah. is um, I was going to ask you what, what weighting would you put on each of those um, elements of wellness, but I guess it can be completely different, um, you know, depending on what your primary hormonal drivers are. Um, you know, how you're genetically wired and what's happened in your life, you know, epigenetically as well? Yeah, no, definitely. It's. I think it would be, now that we have all this, um, I guess, information that's coming out, I think it would be a really um, interesting study to look at that because some of the key happiness hormones that I talk about are, are dopamine, um, which is about setting a small goal and achieving it, you know, serotonin, which is, I guess, sort of around like social status and serotonin's in your gut, so really important for gut health. And then you've got oxytocin which i just spoke about and also endorphin which is you know i guess you get from variety of exercise and fun not just always 
like a runner's high. So, but different people are driven more by these, as we know, in their system. So, what I'm really interested in is, is you know, do you need to keep focusing more and more on the one that drives your system, or do you do you let the other ones go, or how do you get that mm. balance? And I think that that would be a really interesting. Um, area of, I guess, research now that more of this information is coming out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what you're talking about is um, there are certain, the same elements are at play with everyone, but mm. perhaps we prioritise different ones for the individual. Yeah, yeah. And That's it's, a bit of a I guess, guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, um, just trying to work out those for different people. And I actually did up a little, um, a little sheet talking about, there were six tips I did just to try, um, of tips to cause joy and these six different tips I I ended up doing up what was really interesting I didn't plan it at the time I just tried to give a cross section but when I went back and looked at them the tips actually tended to marry up with the different epigenetic profiles and I just thought that was really interesting like some were more about connection some were more about service some were more about gut health some were more about movement you know and, and all this stuff and I think it's really it is really fascinating and but at the end of the day for people if they don't know their profiles there's some key things that they you know, really can go out and do that will bring happiness to their life because all of these things add up to to stimulate our happiness hormones. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, for for those listeners, um, we're talking referring to um, the PH three sixty system, um, epigenetics system that um, Ange and Dave um, both employ at Kaizen, amongst uh, many other systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so go and check that out. Now. Um, in terms of uh, males and females, have you do you, do you think there's some key factors uh, in terms of uh, happiness for uh, the the different genders? Yeah, it's not something I've looked a huge amount um, into, but what I will say from just you know no scientific research really is that typically you know men do suffer a higher rate of I guess um, um, depression and sort of mental health side of things. And when I was it did cross my mind because when I was doing this. Um, research into happiness and social connectedness being the number one thing I I think you know women are the ones that often this is just very generic often catch up with other women you know it's always girls catch up they you know culturally that's what women do whereas men a lot of men tend to not do that like when they're under stress they I guess tend to be a lot more isolated and yeah I do feel that 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 is a potential big player in in happiness differences between men and women is something that I feel not for everyone, but I do I do feel that like I've seen it in yeah. play out in situations around me. So yeah, it's really I guess that's just my take on it. Nothing nothing solid behind it. No, but. I think you're super intuitive because um, I interviewed Sam O'Sullivan recently, who's a psychologist traveling around <laughs> uh, New Zealand, mm-hmm. and he's interviewing uh, male men um, about mental health and um, the different tools we can put in place to help, but. What he has noticed as well is that, um, especially New Zealand males, are not so good at um, expressing themselves. So they mm-hmm. don't have those really open, um, you know, vulnerable conversations that perhaps mm-hmm. uh, females are better at. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because of some of the misguided, you know, masculinity and you know toughness sort of stereotypes. Um, yeah, so I think you're definitely onto something there. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it is. It's. I think as a what I've um, realised as well is that. I think it's we need as women as well like we need to not in a way not accept that from men we need to encourage them to not be like that because what a lot of women I know say and I was one of them until some of my experiences the last few years is that we would say oh that's just men they just don't talk about their feelings or he that's just him he doesn't talk about his feelings so we're actually enabling 
that to continue as opposed to to challenging them to to open up and I feel part of what I'm working on now with parts of this book is around that is challenging men to open up but you know like it's okay and that's what we should be doing because we're we're enabling this to continue to happen which is not good when they're suffering more depression and um high suicide and and things yeah what an awesome thing to do and uh yeah i can't agree with you more we're emotional beings too yeah you want some tissues carl do you want some (laughs) yeah we'll talk after Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, you're, <laughs> some of these things you're talking about, and you say, oh, I don't have any scientific um, knowledge, but you've just got such good in, in, intuition, obviously, through seeing so many um, so many clients and, and people through your, through your clinic. I'm guessing you've picked up on some of these trends. Yeah, personal experiences. There's nothing goes past personal experience or clinical experience, as you would know, I think. No, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got one final question for you. And that is, um, for all of the listeners here, if they could do, if you could impart one message or um, have them think about one thing, or even if they can do one thing right Mm -hmm. now to make them happier people, what would that be? I'd say make, decide to be. Brilliant. Simple, (laughs) effective. Decision to be happy. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on today, Ange, and thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable and sharing your story. I think it's so powerful, and your message is just um, exactly what's needed today. So great. thank you. Yeah, no, thanks so much, and I appreciate you having us all on. You're doing some great things, getting some amazing messages out to the to the masses. So, yeah, well done to you as well. But, yeah, it's been great to chat. Thank you. Well, how powerful was that? And again, thank you to Ange for sharing that experience and all of those those tools that you've you've gone out of your way to attain. You know that mustn't have been easy. And I'm sure we can all you know relate to this in some way. And hopefully, by putting yourself in this situation, it can inspire you. You know, to get a better, to become a better version of yourself. It certainly has with me. You know, sometimes you can take life for granted. Um, and you can focus on the negative. So there's so many great tools there. Um, a couple that I've implemented already. Um, I've re-implemented the, the gratefulness journal back into my life. Um, and I'm encouraging my oldest girl to do the same. And I will with Aliyah when she grows up a bit more too. So please go and check out the show notes. Um, and she has some really exciting things coming out, including a book, um, which is going to be powerful, um, The Will to Live. And I know that's being, it's very close to being released. So keep your eyes peeled for that and go along and check out her social media handles um, and her website. Both of the links, all of those links are on the webpage. Um, And yes, please give us some feedback and I'd like to hear how you found today's interview. Thanks again and tune in next time. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.